1: Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au Grit. It's what enables an individual to persevere in accomplishing a goal despite obstacles, barriers and ceilings placed in their way. Over and over again on SEN, this is GRIT. With Daisy Kears.
2: Welcome to This Is Grit for Victoria Police. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. My guest this week is Lisa Hardiman. Lisa Hardiman is women's football royalty. She did it all. Star player, Victorian coach, passionate administrator. Her patience, determination and thick skin across three decades in the game steered women's football through a difficult period and helped lay the foundations for the AFL women's competition we now celebrate. It's a contribution to the game comparable to Barassi, Sheedy Blight. A story in AFLW history that should be told and hopefully one day acknowledged in the AFL Hall of Fame. Lisa is also the Acting Assistant Police Commissioner and we caught up at Victoria Police Headquarters. I've found myself inside the Victorian Police (laughs) Centre but don't worry, I didn't do it. I'm here to catch up with footy royalty uh, and the Acting Assistant Commissioner, Lisa Hardeman. Lisa, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Daisy. How are you going? Yeah, great. Um, I say footy royalty... Uh, because I'm hoping we can shed the extra little tagline of women's footy royalty off your title. (laughs) Um, Those that have been involved or followed women's footy for a long time will know your name, but I'm here because I'm hoping we can tell your story a little bit more to the broader public because I think your name should be known like we know the names Barassi, Brownlow, Sheedy, Blight... Hardiman should be up in that list. (laughs) Thanks, Daisy. That's a a huge honour. I want to start with your own footy journey. Um, When millions of people have tuned in over the journey of the AFL Exhibition Games and maybe were finding women's footy for the very first time, they would have seen that it was your name on the cup that was presented, the the Hanson Hardiman Cup. Yep. Yep. Why is that? How do you find your, you, how do you come that your name lands on the, the cup presented to the inaugural AFL-sanctioned women's
0: match? Um, oh, that came about because uh, Barb Hampson, who is a, a Victorian, had, was uh, working in Western Australia and was the president for uh, the Western Australian League, and I was president at the time in Victoria. Uh, we'd been playing uh, South Australia back-to-back for a number of years, and um, barb uh said uh, maybe we should get together and expand this a bit further and so barb and i started the first interstate competition that ran uh, every year in different states for a number of years uh, and so when uh, the, the exhibition games between melbourne and, and the western bulldogs were being discussed and a and a name for a cup uh, I'm not quite sure who suggested it, but um, very honoured that uh, Barb and myself were recognised in that way.
2: So essentially, you guys were responsible for getting the, I guess, the seeds of a national competition planted in getting the first
0: interstate game up off the ground. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, it was the first carnival because the the first interstate games were between Victoria and South Australia uh, in about 1982. I think it was, sorry, 92. Um, But this was a a carnival with um, a number of states represented Um, and we eventually, uh, you know, from running it year on year, uh, it got Queensland involved and New South Wales involved and the ADF played uh, for a couple of them. So, yeah, so the the carnival concept um, happened and a a bit of hard work to get it up and running, but we got it there.
2: Take us back a few steps before that. What was it like playing women's footy in the 80s and 90s?
0: Well, I'll take it back even further. I actually, um, my, my football learning started as a, a child. I was the only girl out of a family of boys, cousins and, and brothers. And um, so I had a choice, um, go and play with the boys and learn footy and cricket or play by myself. So that was a pretty easy decision to make. <laughs> I um, actually followed my older brother down to um, his footy training when he started playing underage, and I trained with the team, and uh, they applied to the league at the time for me to play, but uh, without even seeing whether I could match it or not, it was just a flat-out no, because women don't play footy, and they can't play footy. I became the boundary umpire, so that was pretty much the start of, um, of my playing. Um, a number of years later... Uh, I was playing state league netball and um, one of my netball colleagues um, and fellow, she worked also in the police force, saw this ad in the newspaper um, for women to come down to train and neither one of us knew there was a league, this was 1988. Um, So we went down, loved it uh, and that was with Fairfield um, when they used to play down near the old women's prison. Uh, So that was the start of my football career in 1988 and there was four teams. Uh, and it was pretty rough and tumble, but um, uh, I stuck at it and played from then on. Um, it's amazing listening to that because it, it's almost
2: <laughs> the exact same story for me, but about oh, I don't want to get this wrong, <laughs> but twenty, twenty, thirty years later. Earlier. Yeah, well, later. <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely. Even down to the point where I ended up running the boundary yeah. <laughs> for Bright as well. Oh, so yeah. I mean that's staggering in itself. Why? Did it remain that way in your opinion for 30 years? Um, well, the league... On, I, I, before you go, I better make sure that it is 30. When did you when,
0: when are we talking for you? Uh, we're talking, um, well, um, uh, we'd be I would have been 10 or 11, so that's uh 48 years ago. I'm oh, okay.
2: 58 now, yeah, right. So I'm talking about. 20 years ago so yeah hmm. it's nearly 30 years
0: <laughs> yeah um I just think um certainly through my, my um, growing up um there was very distinct lines between what's a boy's sport and what's a girl's sport you know that's why you know I went off to play netball and I had a relatively successful netball career playing um state uh, under 18 under 21 and, and state league and then um as soon as I found footy uh, netball dropped off pretty quick <laughs> um then uh, that Fairfield team wasn't going uh, wasn't so well at the time, and, and so the year after that I joined the Scorpions, which is one of the legendary teams from early on. Um, the Victorian Women's uh, Football League at that stage had only been going for a few short years and was, was growing legs. Um, my first year in '89 with the Scorpions, we won a premiership and I won the Helen Lambert which uh, you know very well having uh, won a few of them and uh, uh, so you know my love then of of women's footy was about how do we make this bigger and better and um, so I dedicated most of the 90s to um, how to be the best player um, but then I went obviously into the administration side and and tried to grow the sport that way. So
2: what was it about footy that while you're off playing netball and quite successfully like you said what what pulled you back to footy?
0: Uh, I just think that uh, it's the ultimate game to play you know every skill that um, a person can develop and use is on a footy field you've got the space and the freedom that you don't have on a netball court Um, it's a bigger team environment so the relationships that you form are are really positive and and, um, but for me it's just the adrenaline of running out on the ground and having a kick and just really enjoying it And, and that started for me as a young kid obviously playing with my cousins and my and my brothers um but uh yeah, i just think footy the ultimate sport you can play
2: um what was the reaction like when you did start playing footy what what would you be met with when you told people you played football
0: girls don't play footy um and and my grandfather especially even though he was the one that taught me how to play with along. Uh, as a kid, um, the, the very first time he came along to watch was um, we're playing in a grand final, and uh, he he was uh, a little bit sceptical at the start, and then at halftime we were we were losing, and he pulled me aside and told me that. To, pull my socks up and have a crack and and um, <laughs> he changed his <laughs> when uh, when the game was over I think he was just about the first one out you know, and <laughs> pat me on the back so uh, he, uh, he he played footy himself um, at quite a high standard not quite VFL but I think VFL reserves he played so he wasn't a bad footballer in his day but he had proudest punch when he f- finally saw the girls running around
2: how rewarding was that to get I guess his endorsement given he'd Kind of been a skeptic and doubted whether you should be out there, and I can imagine there would have been a bit of stigma around, I guess, that opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And then to then see him running out onto the ground to to get amongst it—how how how rewarding! Take us there. Well,
0: I think um, his opinion of women's footy was would have been um, the opinion of most people through the through the '90s around. Uh foot is played by men um but I think also he epitomized if you actually come down and saw a game mm. and looked at it from the perspective that it's women out there um, at the peak of their fitness and um playing a game that's really exciting, it gets you in regardless of you know how much of a skeptic you are, although I have you know heard a few that will never change their minds but uh for me uh What I've seen is once people get involved, um, they change their minds.
2: You're listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. Up next, Lisa reveals the financial struggles they had to keep the women's game growing and the compromises that some states had to make to get any sponsorship they could. She'll also detail the raw emotion she experienced when she found out that AFLW was officially going to happen.
1: On SEN, This Is Grit with Daisy Pierce.
2: Welcome back to This is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. My guest this week is women's football pioneer Lisa Hardeman, one of the key figures in the establishment of the VFLW and AFLW. I caught up with her at Victoria Police headquarters where she works as a police commander and is currently the acting assistant commissioner. What made you want to get involved in the off-field kind of administration and the lobbying to to push for better? What
0: Because I could see the potential of the sport, Um, I could see the passion of um, the people that were involved um, in running clubs, in running the league, Um, you know back in the 1990s um, it was all volunteers, volunteer everybody and um, to see the clubs thrive as they did, you know we lost a few clubs through the 90s through that whole volunteer overload sort of stuff where. Too few were asked to do too much. But then once we got to about the mid-90s, I reckon we, we um, really levelled out and we've still got a lot of those teams around. So it was really hard to run some teams and I just thought the league needed to be um, on a really good path with really good people. So we, we had a quite a, a stable board for a number of years, um, brought in sort of some really... Um, Good people like Debbie Lee, who'd gone off and started her own club previously, and then followed on um, as as president after me. You know, Anne Rulton, who is the best treasurer I think I've ever seen. <laughs> she um, still
2: messages me to let me know I owe, I owe her five dollars yeah. for a state trip bus ticket. Yeah, yeah, that'd be it. <laughs> nah, um, I'm only joking. So you yeah. know, having
0: somebody uh, as passionate as Anne. Um, as our treasurer, which meant that we'd be able to become more financially stable. Like uh, when our first trips to South Australia were happening early in the 90s, we um, had so much money we caught trains and buses, and you know stayed in um, the cheapest accommodation, and just to, to get to South Australia. Mm-hmm. But you know by the time um, Anne had put a few dollars in the bank, we were able to at least fly our state team around the country uh, in in some sort of style and stay at places that would allow them to to perform at their peak so um you know annie rilton has a a lot to do with uh, how women's footy uh, was able to to start to make steps forward because we had the financial security um the other bit about the finance stuff and which meant that we're able to really grow the sport and i i stepped aside by then was Um, When Susan Alberti came along, um, she was one of the most significant changes in our sport because she, um, through her own donation, enabled us to hire um, an administration person, which then allowed us to um, continue to grow the game to the extent that um, they couldn't say that we didn't exist anymore.
2: Talk. I want to talk about a few more of those state trip stories. <laughs> I've heard a few about catching the train to Adelaide and yeah. that kind of thing. There's one that meant to me that is a bit funny but probably more a little bit sad in that at one stage you had to kind of compromise your own um, beliefs and sign on a sponsor that was a strip club because they were... I'm not sure if you remember it, but um, at some oh, point, I
0: do remember it.
2: Um, it. It compromised what a lot of the women in the team believed in and stood for. But if it meant that they could go on a state trip,
0: <laughs> they were prepared to. I can't. I don't know that it was Victoria that signed on the strip club. I think it was one of the interstate games, and when we've run out onto their ground, there was this big billboard at one end of the ground advertising this strip joint. So, um, my uh, recollection is it wasn't Victoria, but okay. it was, in order to run the, the carnival, it was, was it South Australia or Western Australia? But in order to run the carnival, yeah, they were sponsored by a strip club. <laughs> just, you just would not even think of it now.
2: How, how difficult do you think that would have been for some of the women in the team? It would have been
0: really difficult. I know there was a lot of us that just, when we looked at it, laughed. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I just think that uh, back then um, states would do whatever they needed to do to to fund uh, and and getting sponsorship as you know Daisy Mm. is really really difficult at the best of times um, let alone when you're still just trying to grow the sport but uh, I do remember the billboard now luckily it wasn't us
2: (laughs) (laughs) well I guess like you said it's just people doing what they can desperate to get an opportunity Mm. which is the sad bit for me that they had to compromise Oh absolutely. That, yeah. Um I did
0: laugh as well. So <laughs> I'm with you on that one, but thankfully we've moved past it. We that. have moved past it. I'd uh, you know just uh, I think the closest we've got was when I was playing at um Fairfield from around 96 um uh Brazilian Butterfly, I think, was one of our weekly sponsors where, you know, if you're the best player on the ground, you, you, <laughs> you got a, a wax from Brazilian Butterfly.
2: <laughs> I think that still happens. They're <laughs> well received these days. <laughs> um, so as your... What, what qualities did you have to have to endure that period where you were really passionate about pushing for change and pushing for more opportunities? But I can imagine it would have taken... Some serious patience and determination, but what do you think sits within you that meant that you could kind of keep fronting up
0: yeah, with the doors question. being slammed in your face? Um, I think uh, you build a resilience um, around the knockbacks because we'd had it all of my my time I'd been playing football um, that uh, you know you just had to have your vision and not lose sight of that vision. And just keep bit by bit. So the 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 starting of the reserves comp, which meant that we got more people involved. So that was told us as a as a board, as a committee, that if we can continue to attract people and teams, that we would continue to get to the vision that we thought we'd get to. And um, so that that real um, where are we going and how are we going to get there. Uh, yeah if there's a hurdle you, you jump it and you go okay we, we've just got to keep going and, and that was the, the resilience of the, the executive that we had at the time um, and certainly the passion of a, of a Debbie Lee coming after me carried carried on that work and you just have to keep going and, and I suppose my, my job as well um, gives you a bit of a thick skin and, <laughs> um, and you, you take knockbacks a bit on the chin and just keep... Picking yourself up, and that's what we had to do back then.
2: When did you see the the wheels kind of get into motion, um, heading towards a, a change? And like, when did you see a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel that things were starting to move?
0: Um, I think certainly when we started um, the interstate games um, against South Australia, because it meant um, it gave players in Victoria something bigger to aim for, and um, and then on top of that. The carnival, um, which which then started to take the game uh, around the country, uh, which automatically makes people start to um, open their eyes. For instance, um, I remember coaching the Victorian team on, on one of the best trips I've ever done, which was up in, in Darwin, and um, the AFL was actually sponsoring that tournament mm. because they, they had a... Um, team of people in darwin anyway doing their development stuff with the northern territory uh, and they actually got on board and certainly sponsored the, the carnival in darwin and um, you know so i think once we took it around the, the country the afl had to open their eyes mm-hmm. and and even if it was just um on the development stuff but back then also they um they started uh, the youth girls uh, on the on that was their own product but mm-hmm. we pushed it mm-hmm. uh, and you know the Nikki Graves and Shiloh Curtises ran those programs for a long time and um, so once they started to get involved be it in Northern Territory or on a youth level it was inevitable that they would progress.
2: Thanks for listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. Coming up, we'll find out plenty more about Lisa Hardiman when she completes the AFL Records Pocket Profile.
1: On SEN, this is Grit with Daisy Pierce.
2: Welcome back to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. This week I'm at Victoria Police HQ with Acting Assistant Commissioner Lisa Hardiman, a legend of women's footy in Victoria and one of the driving forces in the creation of AFLW. Lisa's playing days were over when we got to realise our dream of playing AFL footy, so I thought I'd get her to do the AFL record's player's pocket profile. All right, well, I'm going to change a pace a little bit yep. because I want to talk about your policing career. Okay. So before we get into what might be a heavy chat, <laughs> are you familiar with the footy record? Yes. Are you, do you usually buy a footy record when you go to the footy? <laughs> um, not
0: always because I, uh, I actually know... Who are my players? Oh, you don't need it.
2: Well, we're going to do the pocket profile style question. Okay, sure. Um, what was your nickname or is your nickname?
0: Uh, at Footy, Hardy. Yeah. There's, I reckon there's people that don't ever know who Lisa Hardyman <laughs> is, they just know me by Hardy.
2: Quite fitting then, given the description <laughs> of your uh, playing style, Hardy. Um, what about at work? Do you have a nickname?
0: Uh, no, I tend to, because of...
2: Not now that you've got your title. You, would, <laughs> you had to take a brave no. person to call you a nickname. No, I tend to,
0: tend to get boss. That's, that's about the extent of it.
2: Um, any pre-game superstitions or routine?
0: Uh, yep. I used to make sure that um, I wore the same undies um, or the same colour undies. Yeah. So I had that a, a set that A were, good luck pair. A good luck pair. <laughs> good luck colour. Yeah, um... <laughs> Which, uh and what made them
2: good luck in the first place oh probably
0: i'd kick 10 of them one day them and, <laughs> and, and a premier, i don't know but um and um the, uh, and i'd like like when we were getting ready i would sort of disappear just for a couple of minutes of quiet time party time party time
2: <laughs> um what's the greatest individual effort you've ever seen on the footy field
0: Greatest individual... Eff- oh, Western Bulldogs winning the 2016 premiership and then the 2017 women's premiership. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's... Uh, greatest individual. Um, that's your greatest memory, though, is it, those two moments? Oh, I've been avid Western Bulldogs, yes. absolutely. Um, it's not so much an individual. We One of the trips we um, we went over to South Australia for and South Australia looked like beating us for the first time ever and I was the captain... And uh, at at three-quarter time, just after Kerry Saunders had finished her address, just got all the girls together and and just wheeled them for, you know, 20 minutes of, of effort. Um, and um, the team rose uh, and Bernie Marantelli, I think it was, kicked the winning goal. And um, South Australia were, were skiting about the fact that um, they were they were it was their game but I remember being interviewed after the game and I said uh, they haven't beaten us and they never will
2: (laughs) have they yet I don't think they have I don't think they they have (laughs) (laughs) hello to all our South Australian listeners (laughs)
0: what's the best rule in footy back to our pocket profile oh the best rule in footy uh the head is Mm sacrosanct you know just protect the head uh It has to be because it's the health and well-being of of everybody that plays footy.
2: Has that changed in your time? Was (laughs) the culture different around concussion?
0: Uh, Yeah. Oh, God. Even um, with VFL, as well as the the women playing, they put them back on the footy field. Like There was no concussion test. It was like, can you say your name? You're back on. (laughs) Um, And so... I think for me the best rule in footy is protect the head.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm laughing not because I don't agree and don't agree that it's important, but I'm laughing because I've got a memory of Peter Searle coaching Darabin. I'm in the team, probably 17 years old, playing against Melbourne Uni at Uni Main Oval. And my dad hassling Pete from over the fence after I'd been concussed to put me back out. <laughs> oh, thanks, there, Dad. <laughs> t- telling her that I'm all right, get her back on, she'll yeah. be fine. So um, yeah, thankfully it's come a long way.
0: So I reckon that's the best rule because it 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 really is the health and wellbeing of everybody the place for you.
2: Yeah. And we're learning more and more about it too. Absolutely. So. Uh, and the worst rule?
0: The worst rule oh the one that they've just changed, the that Jack Rebel Studs up. The studs <laughs> up. I I totally agree with it in the the Toby Green bit where he absolutely got
2: uh, your man Darl at House, the time yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and so you know in that scenario but what happened on the weekend so I'm, I'm glad they've changed yeah, that. Yeah I think a bit of common sense applied there. Yeah. Um,
2: how many games of footy would you watch on a normal weekend? <laughs> <laughs> um, when you're not working of course <laughs> Yeah. Uh, or do they put it on at the station? Or do you get to watch footy if things
0: uh, are Oh Depends where where, yeah. where you are. Um, so I would easily, on a bad weekend, watch four.
2: So on a bad weekend you see uh,
0: on nearly a bad... half of them. <laughs> um, sometimes it depends. You should get a job in media. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, I love it. I, I uh, would watch um, every game if I was allowed to. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, Favourite? Football TV show.
0: Vampa? Mm-hmm.
2: Favourite commentator? And I'm no expectations with this question, I'm just reading what's there.
0: <laughs> Favourite commentator? Um, I do like the fact that yourself and, and more women mm. are getting involved, um, and so I'd like to see that to continue. Uh, Bruce McAvaney, yeah. he's just the Genius. most professional. Um, so. Yeah. He he's one of my favourite commentators, regardless of the sport. You know, like mm. he could be commentating on darts, and <laughs> 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 but uh, you know when he goes to the Olympics and you know yep. footy, just he, he's um, he's he's probably the best. But I do want to see more women because I think you bring something mm-hmm. new into the commentary as opposed to what we've put up with for years.
2: Yeah, and I th- I'd add to that diversity in general because I've loved watching Gilbert McAdam this year oh yeah yeah, he's um, been good he brings a rawness that I think gives it all of us licence to just be yourself so yeah. I've loved watching him and he's got the utmost respect of all the players he's yeah, no, he's been really good to. and yeah. just a different voice Yeah, different life experiences mean that he brings something different so I guess it's a great um,
0: yeah I think um, that footy on TV so Fox and, and, and Seven are bringing that diversity I haven't quite seen matched on uh, radio commentary.
2: Mm-hmm. Um favourite meal the night before a big game. Or maybe these days a big big day at the office. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um my favourite meal before I played um was I generally try and get a pasta. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think somebody had told me that pasta was good the night before you played. So generally tried to get a pasta in. Um uh and um, now my favourite meal would be, I just love Vietnamese food, so um, <laughs> I, I'd, uh, I wouldn't I'd mind a bit of Vietnamese before, before I uh, went along to the footy. Um,
2: I'm going to pick out a few little ones now, so it doesn't go too long. Um, who's the, mas- no, the most famous person you've ever met?
0: The most famous person I've ever met, um, oh gosh. Um, I'm not sure.
2: Most famous person you've ever arrested? <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, okay. That's not in the record. It just to sprung to one, mind. Carl and Roberta Williams. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Tell us
2: about this story.
0: Uh, I was uh, a sergeant and um, we'd started a... Um, I was in an undercover unit and we'd started a, a, quite a small drug job and um, the small drug job... Um, continued to grow and um this is before they were famous and uh I got a phone call from the homicide squad saying um what are you doing looking at Carl Williams and I said it's part of a drug job who's Carl Williams and that they were looking for at him at the time for a, a previous murder um anyway the job started to grow and um we continued to buy uh, drugs and guns and a whole raft of things and we were setting up for a, a, a big $100,000 drug buy and uh, when we got word that um, Carl and Roberta's daughter, Dakota, was, was at her christening, was, he, he was going to be taken out. So the day before the christening was planned, we arranged the big job and Carl and Roberta were sitting in their car with our $100,000 and we were sitting there with their drugs. <laughs> Um mm-hmm. so uh yeah that so was So you were in the car? Uh no I was coordinating the yeah, job. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: And uh so yeah, that was uh um the biggest job I've ever done. And um, and then obviously Carl and Roberta went on to be infamous mm. in the underworld. So that job got Roberta her first um, jail sentence. hmm uh, so
2: yeah, well, we could sit and talk about these stories for a long time. <laughs> There's a few. Maybe we make way with some of the footy chat. But uh, <laughs> the uh, Pocket Profile segment just took a bit of a turn, but it's a perfect segue into me wanting to talk about your career. And it's quite fitting that... Um, you provide this dual purpose because Victoria Police are of course great sponsors of our show, This Is Grit. Thanks for listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. Up next, Lisa will share with us how she not only blazed a trail for women's football, but also in the Victoria Police.
1: On SEN, this is Grit. With Daisy Pierce.
2: Welcome back to This Is Grit. You're more suited than you might think to join Victoria Police. Apply now. My guest this week is women's football trailblazer Lisa Hardiman, who not only broke ceilings for women in football, but in her professional life as a Victorian police officer. And you grew up wanting to
0: be a policeman. <laughs> uh, I did. I <laughs> um, you know, thought uh, as I was growing up um, that uh, being a policeman would be quite a good thing to do.
2: Uh, so... is that what, uh, sorry, I just want to touch on the policeman thing. Were there any female police officers when you were aspiring to be one?
0: Not that I saw. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew that there were women in the police force, but they weren't um, as obvious. There wasn't very many of them. Um, And uh, so I was finishing school and uh, thought I'd uh, ring up and find out how to get into this police force. And so I rang up and was told... Um, as a as a female, I had to be 21, and if I was a male, I could be 18 and a half. So off I went and worked in a bank for a couple of years.
2: As usual, with my brain, it goes straight to why. <laughs> uh,
0: I, I asked the question back then, it was just the way it was. Uh, with, with police men, there was a, a cadet system that had operated for a number of years so that they could join the cadets at 16 and then at 18 um, they went into the academy. Um, uh, I, I don't know why why it was different for women apart from the fact that, um, you know, recruiting of women was still relatively newish um, <laughs> and not a lot of us were going in. Um, so I went and worked in a bank for like, two banks um, and got held up in, in both of them at gunpoint. So I thought it was probably safer <laughs> then to go back and see if I could join the police force. Wow.
2: Well, um What was the environment like coming into the police force at the time? Was it conducive to women, I guess, thriving?
0: No. um, No, so um, there there wasn't a lot of women um, in the organisation and and certainly when I graduated from the academy I thought if I could become a detective that's a pretty good career for a woman because you just couldn't see women in higher places Mm -hmm. at the time. and my very first police station, there were, there were men that didn't want to work with me because they weren't used to having women in, the, in their station environment because up until a few years before I joined, the women had their own police women's division and they worked in there only with women and the men only worked with men. And then once they started to um, combine them and let the women out of the, the cages that they were in, uh, there were a lot of men that, that didn't want to work with us. You know, they thought that we wouldn't be able to handle ourselves in a fight, and um, so it was really quite a a backward environment. You know, even police stations that didn't accommodate for women change rooms and things like that.
2: So there's another layer of that thick skin we were talking about before. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And you you had to um, really be uh, determined to to do your job the best way you could and and get on with the blokes and uh put up with um the the blokey environment uh and not kick kick up too much of a stink because yeah
2: how do you get that balance right um i guess trying to stand up for what you think's right but not to the point where you get ostracized
0: or yeah it's it's really um A a fine line to walk on. uh, What I tended to do was was just try to be myself, and Mm -hmm. you know that thick skin you spoke about. You know, if there was um, something that was going on in a conversation in the police station, just go let it go. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, so early on, yeah, there there was not a lot of women, and there certainly wasn't a lot of role models.
2: Well, it's changed now. Certainly Um, has. Have you been a part of that change, or what have you observed over the? Well, you've nearly been in the force for forty 36 years. years. Yeah, thirty six years. Coming uh. up for decades. What, what have you seen change over that time to the point now where women are very visible?
0: Yeah. Um, so, it, the more women that we recruited, um, the the better it got because we it wasn't like you were the only one that mm-hmm. was in a particular place. Um, You know, I had... uh, I did get my dream job, as I thought, of of becoming a detective, but unfortunately my sergeant didn't think that women could be detectives or should even be in the police force, so I was ostracised out of what was then my dream job. Um, So uh, then for me it was... um, a um, a mentor, a woman who became my mentor, who was the first at doing a whole raft of things in the organisation, who became um, m- one of my, my superintendent, and she's the one that really said to me, you know, you've got a great career here, and and started to to give me a little bit of a shove and um, advised me to go off and do my masters. Like I didn't even finish year twelve, um, and here I am at Monash University doing my <laughs> masters, and um, and. You know she continued to challenge me to keep striving for that that next that next position um and it was it, one of the funniest stories was um i got uh an interview to be the officer in charge of a police station so a senior sergeant and i was doing my um supervisory rounds Um, at about the time the interviews were being done and I went into this station and there was this sergeant there that said I hear you're in for the job and I said "Uh, yeah I am he goes oh you won't get it there's plenty of good blokes here and I said oh well we'll see how we go and he goes well if you get it I'm never going to call a skirt boss and I went oh we'll see how we go well I got that job (laughs) and the very first day I walk into that police station he's there And I walked up to him and I said, I don't care when anybody else calls me, you will call me boss until I give you permission to call me something else. Um, By the time I left that station, he'd actually come around and and thought that women could be bosses and that women could lead.
2: So how long did it take him to he could call you something else? Uh,
0: I reckon it was about 18 months
2: and what was he allowed
0: to call you? Hardy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, he would. He didn't call me Lisa. But um, yeah, just and his attitude mm. was very, very much around that. Uh, I'll have women here as constables, but they'll never be buff. my boss. Mm. Um, so, does uh, that
2: still exist now?
0: I'm sure there are, are some people. Certainly. Um, the, we had the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission report that was released in 2015 that says um, that was not very complimentary of of the Victoria Police as a um, as a safe workplace. Um, we're about to launch phase three of of that report um, that says we, we've got better, but. We've got a long way to go. Mm-hmm. So there are still pockets of the mm-hmm. organisation that um, that do think like that's urgent, that sergeant um, that you know don't think that women um, should be getting promoted. Uh, but we we've, we've now got you know, we've had Christine Nixon as the first chief mm-hmm. commissioner. Um, we've um, had Lucinda Nolan as a Deputy Commissioner. We've now got Wendy Steendam as, as a Deputy Commissioner. We've increased um, the number of women in senior leadership positions since the 2015 report come out. And that's by not giving them the job over a well-deserving male. It's actually providing them opportunities to show that they can do the job mm-hmm. and then rewarding them with that job. And, and certainly um, for me uh, I... Uh, got my inspector's position uh, in 2008. Um, I worked at um, Port Phillip, which was as an inspector just amazing. You know, we had huge things like St Kilda Festival, the second biggest New Year's Eve outside of Melbourne and this little race called the Grand Prix. So really (laughs) big events that um, were just amazing. and it was really interesting when I finally got promoted to uh, to superintendent, I went back out to um, the western suburbs and the sergeant that had the crack at me about the skirt was still working out there. So um, <laughs> it was really interesting going back out there.
2: You touched on um, how important having a mentor and someone that believed in you was in your early career. Do you find yourself wanting to play that role now for the women you come across in the organisation?
0: Yeah, um, certainly uh, since... I've, I've mentored people throughout my, my leadership from being a senior, when I was a senior sergeant even, uh, and now I, I have a number of people that um, I mentor, um, mostly women, um, with a few um, of my male colleagues in as well, uh, who asked me to mentor them because they didn't actually want to be mentored by um, other men. Mm-hmm. Which was really interesting. But Which is
2: the power of diversity, really. It's not just yeah, absolutely women for women. It's just different um, people respond to different styles, I yeah.
0: suppose. Now, I've, I've luckily um, had a, a really good track record with um, some of the people that I've mentored getting promoted um, and, and developing their own careers. So that's really... That's one of the best parts of, of my mm-hmm. job. Uh, it's a whole, you know, sort of coaching stuff mm-hmm. coming back, I think. Um, but I... I really believe in in, uh, in playing it forward uh, and so I've had a number of opportunities and a number of people who have supported me and so I think it's, um, it's part of my job and part of my responsibility to make sure that I continue to help people achieve what they need to achieve um, in their career but in, in life as well.
2: If there's someone out there listening to you and had previously considered being involved in the force or maybe now is considering themselves, what would you say, like what's the most rewarding Part of the job, and why, despite all those challenges, early days, and barriers, have you been here for thirty six
0: years? <laughs> uh, because it's it's the best job in the world. Um, you come to work every day, and it's rare that you would experience the same thing. You know, there there is um, some absolutely fantastic things that you share uh, and and see and do. Uh, the fact that we're helping the community so much really really is important. We're recruiting at the moment um, through uh, some significant government funding and it's just a fantastic job for a woman. There's equal pay, um, we have um, a lot of flexibility, that we've, we've bought into the workplace, um, it's a really supportive place to work uh, and uh, Uh, Mick Miller, uh, who who died and his funeral I went to last week, uh, when I graduated, said uh, uh, to my whole squad, take a seat for the best show in the world. And and it really is taking a seat for the best show in the world because you you just see and do and experience so much.
2: Last one, because I know you've got a police force to run. (laughs) Um, What's your opinion on the fact that no women sit in the AFL Hall of
0: Fame? Uh, It has to change. You know, it... I know that the the argument at this stage would be that we haven't played it long enough but we have, we've been playing it, we haven't been playing AFLW for a long time but there's a whole lot of VFL people that sit in that Hall of Fame and um, there are some absolute guns that throughout our history that should be recognised and um, it's not just about three years of AFL, it's longer than that and we have a history and our, our history needs to be acknowledged afl hall of fame it used to be the vfl hall of fame it needs women in it Mm -hmm. because otherwise it's a boys club
2: um lisa i hope we see your name in there (laughs) hopefully it's a matter of time not if we see your name in there um thank you very much for your time but more so thanks so much for the the work that you've done in giving us all the platform and laying the foundations for the aflw that we now celebrate it's a pleasure thanks (laughs) Daisy. Thanks for listening to This Is Grit. Victoria Police is now recruiting. Apply now. A huge thank you to Lisa for your time, for sharing your story, but also for your contribution to building the foundations for AFLW at a time where there weren't as many believers. It's a contribution that should continue to be acknowledged as the AFLW grows. I guess we should say, side note, thanks for helping to keep our neighbourhood.
1: Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.
2: Good, Safe as well. My guest next week is Alini Gluftus, the first female field umpire in the AFL.